I was just waiting upon the Lord this week, and I was thinking, Lord, what is it that you want me to, to share on? And, uh, you know, after last week, and I, I just felt that I wanted to, to hear from God. And I, I just felt that he, he said to me, lessons from adversity. And so, oh. uh, so I thought, okay, Lord, I'm pretty sure that most of us are, are going through problems and difficulties and trials. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? I'm going to tell you a lot about that. Hallelujah. So that, that's really what we're going to be looking at this morning is lessons that are derived from adversity. And so, um, you know, there's a school of thinking going around that says, you know, that, that we don't need to suffer because Jesus has suffered uh, for us. And uh, because of that, he's taken all our sufferings. Well, that, that is absolutely true in the atonement. But it's not the whole message because how many know that, that the Christian life is part suffering? It's, it's not the most popular thing to preach on, so I apologize, but I, I hope it's relevant to your life at least. You know? So we see that there's some truth in the statement that Jesus has taken all our punishment, but that refers to the atonement. But not all suffering is exempt from us. In fact, Romans 8.17 says this, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with Him, that we might be also glorified together. In other words, if you don't share in God's sufferings, you can't share in His glory. Amen? So, uh, if Jesus said that the servant needs to be like his master. You know that Jesus suffered greatly to bring many sons unto glory. Suffering is still required to extend the kingdom of God. You know, when, when I look at uh, how uh, the, the kingdom of God has advanced, it, it can be really difficult. You know, we came to, came to this um, church and when we started it, um, that we had to buy the, the, the communion cups. We had no congregation, no hall, nothing. There was no one, didn't know anyone. And I can tell you that those first few years were excruciatingly difficult. And I was thinking, God, I really don't want to do this. Uh, you know, I'm getting old, walking around the hills, knocking on everybody's doors. We did for many years uh, in Tidarangi. Um, and it was amazing. We didn't get one person come from, from, the, um, from the, the doors that we knocked to. But people came to the service, uh, and so the church began to grow. Um, it, it was quite difficult. But, you know, Jesus says that we need to, uh, well, we experience suffering and to extend the kingdom of God, to develop maturity and obedience. Now I look at you and I think, oh man, you guys are so obedient. You don't need to. <laughs> but uh, being a pastor for some 30 odd years, I know that uh, this message on obedience is a really relative one. Do you remember what they said about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5? Though, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. So there was a, a process in which suffering actually brought about the maturing and the, the developing of, of Jesus Christ. And if that's true for the Savior, how much more so is it for you and I? And so there's a place for, for us to embrace suffering. Not the suffering of sin, but the suffering to extend the kingdom of God and to become mature and obedient. You know, suffering produces obedience. And that's a valuable lesson. Don't you love it when your kids obey you? Yes. Okay, you, your grandkids. I'm sorry, I'm forgetting who I'm speaking to. But it's lovely when your grandkids obey you. Uh, and so there's a valuable fruit 
that, that's derived from obedience. And of course, it, that I might know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. The greatest Christian that ever lived wanted to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And so it's important that we understand that the, the, the New Testament does not teach that we will not suffer. But it does teach us how to benefit and how to profit from sufferings. Good things can come out of suffering. Can you say amen? amen? Every lady that's had a child will say, yes, that's true. You know, I, it's possible good things to come out of suffering. James and Peter write to the, to the respective congregations with this message. And I want to read what James says, one, a well-known passage of Scripture. And I'm reading it from the New uh, Living Translation. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, other Bibles say trials or tests, come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Are you excited about your troubles this morning? <laughs> That's what the word says. Okay. So, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. And that word means mature, not I will never sin again. I am, you know, I am perfect. It means maturity. So, um, so let, let that, uh, your endurance grow, and then you'll become uh, mature and complete, uh, needing nothing. Peter goes on to write to his folk, and he tells them this invaluable lesson. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. You know, this is the lesson. You know, uh, The Bible doesn't teach that you will not suffer, but it, it shows us how we can take advantage of suffering, how we can profit through this whole process. That if we, if we allow God to have His way in our difficulties and our sufferings, that He can bring about something glorious and beautiful. So, we'll be rewarded one day for our suffering. So, the, the point I guess I'm really trying to make is, if you're taught that you'll not have to suffer in the Christian life, then when the fiery trial that Peter speaks about comes upon you, how many you know you can be disappointed, you can be discouraged, you are ill-prepared if you think that, that, that this life doesn't involve suffering. And so, it, the people who had that mindset where the first time they, they experience hardship in the kingdom of God, they oh, God's forsaken me and I'm out of here. And I know people that personally left the church when, at the first sign of difficulty because they, they, they just felt that God had let them down. No, suffering is part of the maturing process where we grow and become obedient to the Lord. And we need to be prepared. Remember the old saying, you know, forewarned is... Forewarned is forearmed. Throughout the, the, the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see uh, people, God's people suffering. But we also see another thing. Whenever God's people suffering, God is a close at hand. You know, you, you never get as close to God as when you're suffering. In fact, Psalm 34 and verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous... Man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Amen. Hallelujah. You may go through trials and tribulations. You may go through difficulties. But I'm telling you, God is right there with you, walking hand in hand with you. Remember that old, that old poem about footsteps? You know, you look back and you say, God, where were you? I only see one step of footsteps. And he said, because I was carrying you. 
God is right there in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your tribulation. And He's bringing about help and sustenance and strengthening you. I want to look at the account that's found in 2 Kings uh, this morning as a, as a basis scripture. Uh, and there's so much more. I had to leave a lot out this morning because I wanted to be disciplined and not keep you here all day. And everybody smiled and said, thank God. <laughs> But I want to give you some background as to this account in 2 Kings. Okay? Uh, there's uh, there's a, a besieging army that's come down and Samaria uh, is experiencing a very long and protected siege. It's severe. The deprivation is beyond description. In fact, if you read chapter 6, you'll find that there were actually acts of cannibalism. That's how bad the siege had got. And I'm thinking, wow! God, that, that's absolutely awful, you know. Um, well, we, we know that we're not exempt from, from difficulties and hardships, you know, but uh, hard times fall upon all of us and we get discouraged and we experience despair and hopelessness. But God promised, does not promise a life of free of suffering, but He promises us a life of victory. He promises us that through the hardship, God will do a work in you that cannot be done in any other way. And He will help you. He will sustain you. He will not forsake you. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God is right there. So I was looking at this. I'm thinking, God, how did these guys uh, get into such dire straits? You know, acts of cannibalism. This was an incredibly severe siege. I'm thinking, they, they're eating their own children. Why, God, didn't you help them before that? It's a good question, isn't it? But it, I, And I started to search the scriptures. And I, and I searched, and I thought, why did God, you allow this to become so uh, incredibly difficult? And you know what I found? There was no evidence anywhere in this siege where the people called out for God's help. None. None at all. These Samaritans didn't call out to the Lord for help at all. They didn't pray. They didn't seek God. There's nothing, no evidence. Unlike when Jehoshaphat experienced a, 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 a national crisis, much like they were experiencing in Samaria, what was the first thing that Jehoshaphat did? He called the people together in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 4, and the people began to seek the Lord's help and, and seek God and for the, the, the Lord to, to intervene in their lives. Nowhere in this account in Samaria did this happen. No attempt. None whatsoever. Psalm 46 is, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Hallelujah. When you're going through trouble, God is right there with you, standing, believe it, receive it, and cling to Him like nothing else. You know, these people didn't. They never seriously sought God. There were no national cause of repentance, no prayer, no fasting, nothing really happened. But you know something? I'm sure they prayed. I'm sure these people pray. There's no scriptural evidence of it. But you know, I think that they pray. But have you ever heard some people pray? You know, they, they go around and uh, you know, they pray the problem. They murmur and they complain. They make excuses for what they're going through. They say, God, why don't you do something? You know, uh, they're, they're frustrated at God. There's no faith, no trust. Uh, they don't pray the word. And then they wonder why nothing happens. They pray this just little narrow prayer. God help us. And God didn't. And uh, 
So I'm sure human nature being what it was, they prayed, but they didn't pray very seriously or very deliberately. They certainly didn't make it a national issue like Hezekiah did. When we find ourselves in trouble, and we do from time to time, we find ourselves in dire difficulties. I want you to do remember four things, four steps that we need to take when we find ourselves in any kind of hardship or difficulty. The first thing we need to do is repent of any and all sin. Amen? That's a good place to start. Because none of us are perfect. And so we need to repent of any and all sin. Secondly, we need to fast. And thirdly, we need to seek the Lord and believe His Word. Because if you do those things, you'll discover that God's help is very real and that He's right there beside you. You know, the psalmist David wrote, called out a couple of psalms. uh, And it's very interesting what he says. In Psalm... 56 and verse 9, David says, When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is with me. Did you notice the correlation there? When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies be turned back. When I cry, then God works. You know, I think God's looking for us to really cry out and search to God with all our heart. Instead of this, this flippant uh, answers on, on like McDonald's, you know, you just drive in there quick, easy answers, quick, easy meals. And so God is looking for a deeper relationship. And so in that trial and tribulation, we're to seek the Lord with all our hearts. You know, Psalm 7 and verse 10 says this, God is my shield who saves the upright in heart. Hallelujah. You know, God is the captain of our salvation, the mighty deliverer. Our shield and defender. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. And so we must search for Him with all our hearts. When you're in trouble, seek God with all your heart. Throw everything aside. If you want an answer to prayer, seek God with everything you have. Can I have an amen? Amen. Jeremiah said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. So God's saying, when you're in trouble, call out to me. The Samaritans didn't do that at all. These blind, stubborn, stiff-necked people who won't seek the Lord continue on in their own way. That's why the situation was so terrible, because they hadn't sought the Lord. You know, and yet God in His infinite mercy steps into the situation, even though they hadn't uh, sought them. Uh, God responds and uh, he offers them hope and so the promise of salvation. He said, food will come to you tomorrow. In the next 24 hours, you just got to believe me and I will grant you food. You know, there's a, a scripture in Matthew 6, 8 that says this, that your heavenly Father knows what you need of before you ask Him. But how many understand that God appreciates when we take the time and the effort to come to the Lord and ask Him for our needs? God, that's developing relationship. That's building a, 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 a communion base with the Lord. And so, often when we, uh, when we don't deserve it, God steps in. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need of before you ask Him. And this is exactly what happened in the case of Samaria. They were not seeking God. And yet, God sends Elisha the prophet. And we, we pick up the, the account in, in 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gates of Samaria. Then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows of heaven, might this be? 
And Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. It's wonderful news. God said that in the next 24 hours, this famine that had been going on for a long, long time was going to end in the next 24 hours. And that, that you'd be able to have enough food to buy and to sell and, and, to, and to celebrate, you know. And that you, you, the time of famine would be finished. All they had to do was believe God for the next 24 hours and God would save them. There's a very interesting account with this man who turns around and says, Hey, you know, if, would this happen even you know, if God were to make windows in heaven? He heard the word of the Lord, but he didn't believe it. And the question is, uh, what do you do with the word that God speaks to you? Do you doubt or do you believe? This leader, this man, um, says in effect, uh, not even God can save us. You know, he was so wrapped up in, in, in what he saw and what he could feel and his own hunger and in the situation. He said, not even God can save us. And, uh, you know, those circumstances can seem overwhelming to us when we find ourselves in, in a time of trouble. But don't do what this man did. Because he dismisses the word of the Lord as unrealistic, as foolishness. He thinks that Elisha is on a fool's errand. He said, it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not, uh, it's not rational. You know, we've been suffering this famine for a long time, and now you say in 24 hours it'll all be over? In fact, I want to read the, the verse 2 from the Living Bible that really, really puts this man in, in his true light. It says this, That couldn't happen if the Lord made windows in the sky. Do you notice the doubt and unbelief? The prophet, the man of God, comes and, and speaks this encouraging word that they're going to be delivered in the next 24 hours. And he says, that couldn't happen um, even if the Lord put windows in the skies. The doubt and unbelief. He's so wrapped up in his problems that the word of God means nothing to him. And I think that there's a correlation with us when, when we sometimes find ourselves in, in, in a, a time of trouble and somebody comes and brings a word to us. You know, we have a tendency to say, yeah, thanks, it's very nice. <laughs> you, you don't really understand what I'm going through. You know? This is real difficult. And we need to be very careful that we receive all that the, the Lord says to us. You know, we need to be very careful that we don't fall into the trap that this man did and despise the promises of God. I, I know that, but I've got a word for you. Get your butt out the way. Okay? <laughs> Now, some of you are thinking about another but I didn't say that. I said, get your butt out the way. <laughs> oh, bless you. But you know, there's a, a verse in Scripture that, that, that's very powerful. It's found in Proverbs 13, 13. And I want you to listen carefully to the injunction of the Lord. It says, Whoso despises the word shall be destroyed, but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Hallelujah. Whenever you face it in, in a trial or situation, the word of God comes. And if you believe it, you will be rewarded. If you despise it, you're going you're to fall by the wayside. In fact, when you look at that word despise in the Hebrew, it's the word booze. And it means to disrespect or to dishonor. And this is exactly what that official did that was leaning on the king's arm. He said, man, even if God were to make windows in heaven, this couldn't happen. In other words, God doesn't know what he's talking about. We need to be very careful that when somebody gives us a word from the Lord in our time of difficulties, that we're not so wrapped up in our problems that we despise the word of the Lord. You know, what he was saying in essence is that God doesn't know what he's talking about. 
My situation is so extreme, God doesn't know what he's talking about. That's impossible. You know, sad to say, this is not a, an ex, an unusual occurrence in the scriptures. You can see this played out over and over again. I just want to look at one, one example uh, for you in Psalm 78. We won't take the, the whole time to read it. I'm going to just edit a couple of verses out that are really re- uh, relevant. But it, it's sad to say that many Christians have the same kind of reaction, and yet it's deadly. Um, it says, this is about Israel wandering in the wilderness. Psalm 78, verses 17 through 19. And again, I'm reading from the Living Bible. And it's speaking about the children of Israel. Yet they kept on with their rebellion, sinning against the God who is above all gods. They murmured and complained, demanding other food than God was giving them. They even spoke against God himself. Why can't he give us decent food as well as water, they grumbled. I want you to see the heart behind these words. Uh, do, you, do you see their ingratitude? Do you see how unappreciative of the fact that God was looking after him? How boorish, how rude, uh, how insulting to God this was. God reacted in verse 21. He says, Jehovah heard them and was angry. The fire of his wrath burned against Israel because they didn't believe in God or trust him to care for them. God will take care of you in your circumstances. Amen? Amen. God will not leave you. He will not forsake you. When you're going through a time of difficulties, God is right there for you. Verse 31 and 32 says, The wrath of God, because of this ingratitude and this boorish, rude, insulting attitude, uh, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this, verse 32 They sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. This verse reveals that our doubt and unbelief can wound the Father heart of God. And it brought about judgment on them for their sins, their doubt and their unbelief. Under the new covenant, we understand that Christ bore all our punishment for sin. Aren't you glad about that? God has paid for all our sins. We're not going to be punished. But you know, as we look at these verses, we can see how we can wound our relationship with God when we act in the same boorish and rude way, when we're unappreciative of what God has given us and what God has done for us. We can wound the heart of God. He doesn't judge us like He did in the Old Testament. That judgment fell upon Jesus Christ for our sins. That's, that's the beauty of grace. But these verses demonstrate how very important the word of the Lord is. We need to respect, honor, and revere the word of the Lord. And everyone said? Amen. Do you know what David said about the word in Psalm 139, verse 17? He said, how precious are thy thoughts to me, our God. How great is the Son of me. You say, God, you're always saying wonderful things about me. You're making glorious promises about me. God, I love your word. And so that should be our response in exactly the same way. You know, we need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. You know, we need to do that because God is a good God. Amen. Amen. God only speaks the truth. And so when we, when we hear that word of the Lord, we're tempted to say, but you don't understand. Remember, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That he said, and shall he not do that? He spoke, shall he not make it good? We need to trust in the Lord. 
No matter how dark your situation is, God's word will prevail. Hold on to it. Believe the promise. Trust God and it will work out. Can you say amen? amen. Remember the, the writer of Hebrews um, actually had this uh, admonition for uh, his congregation. It says in Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, he's writing to the church, lest, any, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Do you hear what the writer of Hebrews calls an evil heart? An evil heart is a heart of unbelief. The minute you doubt the word of God, that's, that's the beginnings of the hardening of your heart. And if you persist in it, you, be, you begin to walk in that evil way. Because you doubt the things that Lord, the Lord has said. We need to believe that the, 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 that the Lord's word is true. Disregard our senses. Sometimes that can be real tough, isn't it? That's the truth. You know, sometimes you, you look at the situations and, and you see what God says and you see what's going on in your life and they are two different things completely. But you know, we cannot afford to walk by our senses. We have to live by the Word of God. And regardless of what God says, we've got to believe that and do that. During the siege, this leader... This Lord clearly didn't do that, and he was judged. So the first lesson that we need to draw from, from this account is that really we need to pray and believe God's word. You know, really, really pray. You're in trouble? Really, really pray. Seek God with all your heart. And when you do that, how many know that God is faithful? He will not let you down. He will answer you. So they're sitting there. Uh, the, the famine's been going on. The, the, the prophet comes and says, hey, in the next 24 hours, it's all going to be good. And there were four lepers that were sitting outside the gate. You remember the story. And they, they were sitting there, and they were dying of hunger. And they said to, to one another, why do we sit here? You know, if, we, if we carry on sitting here, we're going to die. Perhaps they, they didn't hear the prophet, because maybe the prophet was inside the, inside the city, and they were outside by the gate. They said, if we sit here, we die. If we go into, if we go into the, the city, we're going to die. Let's surrender to the Sumerians. And, and uh, you know, if, they, if they spare us, we live. But if not, we die. So um, they thought that that was a pretty good idea. So um, we begin to see a, a really important principle. They were willing to sacrifice everything to lay down their lives. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where, as Christians, we find out what we're made of. When the difficulties come and the hardships arise in our life, what do you do in that face of adversity? There's a powerful spiritual principle here. Our growth and spiritual de uh, development is determined by what we are willing to sacrifice. What we are willing to sacrifice. What fleshly appetites must we crucify? Greed, lust, pride, Anything else? Bitterness? Unforgiveness? You know, look at the great apostle Paul. Again and again, uh, the, the greatest apostle that ever lived was willing to sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ. Willing to sacrifice all. He was prospering in Judaism. If you read the, the, the epistles that you write, he was prospering in Judaism. About many of, of his contemporaries, you know, uh, he was zealous. He was an up-and-coming rabbi. He was successful. He was popular. He was educated. He was destined <coughs> to succeed. 
He was really going places. He was a man on the move. We call him upwardly mobile today. But, you know, he met the Lord and everything changed. And I don't mean that he, he, he spiraled into defeat. His priorities changed. You know, everything changed because he was devo- devoted and sold out to the Lord. Passionate for Christ. What an example the Apostle Paul gives us. He says in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he said, But what things were gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. When he found Christ, when he found Christ, he discovered that he'd found the thing that his heart had cried out all his life for. Even though he was a, a religious man, finding Jesus was the answer to his prayer. You see, Christ is the fountain of life. He is the joy of the world. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the light of the world, the hope of salvation, the author of life. And this is what Paul discovered when he discovered Jesus. And he said, man, I've got to pursue Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. You know, he sacrificed everything in Judaism. His power, his pride, his position, his prestige, because Christ had become everything to him. He discovered the, the true source of life. And he writes again to the Philippians in, in Philippians 3.8. He says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I might win Christ. You see, he found that in Christ all his desires were fulfilled. Everything that he needed, the peace, the joy, the love, everything that he needed was found in Jesus Christ. And he said, man, everything else doesn't matter. Only Jesus is of of, of importance. He sacrificed everything. Early on he had written to uh, the the, the Philippians in, in the first chapter. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he found the real source of life. And folks, whatever you're going through, whatever trial and difficulty you're going to, get to Jesus. Get to Jesus, the author of life, the savior of your soul, our, our friend and our helper and our deliverer. Get to him. Get close to him. You know, Paul was saying, in effect, while I live and have breath, I'm going to give everything to the cause of Christ. My money, my time, my talent, my ability, all that I have, I'll use for the cause of Christ. My house, my horse, everything. <laughs> I'm going to give it all to the Lord. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to serve Him with every last ounce of strength. And His name has gone down in history as one of the greatest apostles that have ever lived, the greatest Christian. Why? Because He, like the lepers, was willing to die to self. The greatest enemy in our spiritual walk is self. We are our own worst enemies, and that's the truth. And if we will do what Paul did and say, I'm going to put myself to death, and I'm going to live for Christ, I know that when you do that, everything will work out well. Can you say amen? Amen. God will save and deliver us and bless us. That's exactly what these lepers do. They said, remember, let's just... We'll, we'll die to self and we'll go. You know, I came across this story, and it's very brief, and I want to share it with you. A young mother brought her baby to Robert E. Lee, uh, the, the famous southern general in America. And he took the infant in his, in his arms and looked at it and then said slowly, Teach him to deny himself. And that was all. 
What a great spiritual lesson. What a thing to pass on to a young mother. Teach him that this child must deny himself. Man, isn't that the root of all the problems in the church and the world? Is what we want and we want it now. We're going to get it no matter who we trample on. Paul said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to count that all as done. And I'm going to press in. I'm going to love the Lord. And I'm going to pursue God. What an incredible lesson Robert E. Lee gave to this young mother. You know, it echoes the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, uh, he said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the message. Denying yourself. You want to grow, you want to develop, you want to be like Christ? Well, you're going to have to put some of the self-life to death. It's not easy, folks. I'm struggling with this message as much as you are, but it's something I'm committed to, I'm wanting to do. God help each and every one of us to deny ourselves. God help us to put you first, to love you like the Apostle Paul, that no matter what is on offer, Jesus is greater than all that is offered. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The second lesson we must learn is that we must deny ourselves and be that living sacrifice and surrender. You know, the, the more I think about this, I think, man, it, it, it's, it's one thing to die for Christ. What a glorious thing to die for Christ. But to live for Christ is actually a greater honor and a greater uh, sacrifice than, than dying for Christ. Because daily you must choose to deny yourself to live for Jesus. Daily you must put other people before yourself to honor the Lord. And that is a far harder thing than a moment of great heroism. This living sacrifice is what God is after. Choosing day by day, I'm going to honor the Lord and I'm going to bless others. I'm going to put others before myself. I want to be that living sacrifice and I want to live God for God and do things His way. So, we must learn to deny ourselves, be that living sacrifice, surrender all to God. The Lord must come first in everything. He must have preeminence. Otherwise, we are playing church. We must give Jesus the preeminence. So the lepers go over to the Syrian camp. They finally think, okay, I'm going to give it up. We're going to go over to the Syrian camp. You know what they found when they went there? The camp was deserted. Absolutely nobody there. There was quite an amazing God who caused them uh, to to hear the sound of of an army approaching, the sound of horses and and chariots, and and they began to think about this, and they think, wow, uh, the the, the Samaritans have hired this army to come against us, and they ran for their lives. When they get there, they think, wow, you know, here's all, everything, they just ran. You know, if you've ever suddenly been afraid, sense goes out the window. I remember we were in the army and, and uh, we were having a, a tea break. We were out on patrol. Um, we go out for 10 days at a time. We, um, we, we were out on patrol and we were sitting around having tea when suddenly we were ambushed. And the, 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 there were only four of us in, in the stick and um, the most powerful weapon that we have is the machine gun, the MAG, the machine gun. 
and it's the, it's the main firepower of, of the stick. And uh, when when uh, when fear attacked, when these guys attacked uh, attacked us, uh, the guy was lying down with, with his cup of tea there in the shade. He was resting uh, because we were having a tea break, and they opened fire. And there was a little brow in, 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 the, in the row. And so the, they just couldn't shoot low enough. And so a whole lot of bullets uh, went about six inches above the guy that was lying on the ground. And he got such a fright. Uh, and he jumped up and he left the MAG right there. And he ran and he dived through the window. And the bullet run were following him. And the bullet strikes were for, And now suddenly this group of four is down to three guys with, uh, with no, um, uh, no MAG, no man firepower. My point is, you know, when fear comes, you can react stupidly. You can do stupid things. And this is exactly what the, uh, the, the Sumerians thought. They said, man, there's an army coming down and they're going to destroy us. And they just ran for their lives, just like this guy. And so we understand that it's, you know, um, fear runs wild. And we need to be careful of fear. Because when it runs wild, it can do absolutely devastating things in our life. When, when we are afraid, afraid uh, fear is a very debilitating emotion, isn't it? It's a very difficult thing. Do you know there's an account in, in the Bible where fear stopped an entire army? A whole army stopped because of fear. <coughs> And I'm referring to the story of David and Goliath. Remember, the, the whole nation, all the fighting men had gathered. The Philistines were gathered on the other side. And Goliath came out day after day and he challenged and insulted the children of Israel. And they were too afraid to go out and confront him. And so the whole army um, was, was terrified, was afraid, and they did nothing. They stopped. Until David comes along and you know the story. And that's a, that's a lesson for another day. But fear can be such a debilitating emotion. I came across this comment of fear because this is exactly what happened to the Syrians. And we need to be careful when we let fear into our life because it is such a devastating emotion. And it says this, I am fear. I am the menace that lurks in the path of life, never visible to the eye, but sharply felt in the heart. I am the father of despair the brother of procrastination, the enemy of progress, the tool of tyranny. Born of ignorance, immersed on misguided thought, I, I have darkened more hopes and stifled more ambitions, shattered more ideals and prevented more accomplishments than history could ever record. Like the changing chameleon, I assume many disguises. I masquerade as caution. I sometimes known as doubt or worry, but whatever I am called, I am still fear, the obstacle of all achievement. Folks, we've got to come against the fear in our life. We've got to come against the fear that, that seeks to enslave us. You know, these guys uh, fled in tear. Whether fear is real or imagined, it can be incredibly debilitating. Okay. When we experience fear, sometimes it's fear because we're afraid to take that next step that will take us to, the, to a higher level. 
Or are we afraid of our health or our circumstances, our marriage, or that our kids will go off the, 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 the rails? Or we are afraid of the unknown. We can be afraid of any multitude of things. But I want to tell you, we need to understand where fear comes from. Fear does not come from God, amen? When we are afraid and intimidated, and every single one of us has times when we go through that, we need to recognize that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a, a power of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. You know, we need to recognize that fear comes from the pit of hell. We need to resist it. We need to fight it and destroy that fear in our lives. We cannot afford to let our thoughts or imaginations run away with us. In other words, we must guard our minds. Remember what Proverbs 28 says, The wicked flee when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Hallelujah. You know, when we understand who we walk with and who our God is, we can overcome any and all obstacles. Amen? Amen. The truth is, it's never as bad as the devil wants us to believe. 365 times the Bible says, Fear not. One for every day of the year. God is saying to us repeatedly, fear not, I'm with you. Be not afraid, I am your God. I love what Oswald Chambers said. He says, when you fear God, you don't have to fear anything else. Isn't that marvelous? What a truth. When you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. The Samaritan should have followed Hezekiah's example when he was besieged by Sennacherib. In 2 Chronicles 32, it says, um, With him, with Sennacherib, was the armor of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. And the people rested themselves on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They understood that God would fight their battles. And if he does that in the Old Testament, how many know he'll do it for us today? Oh, you're very excitable, guys. I'll, I'll have to find no, that. we're all we're all gross <laughs> thinking. Hallelujah. God is going to fight our battles for us. We understand. Amen. God will fight our battles. You know, the, the Bible says, and this is and this is a, a picture of God that we uh, don't think about very very often. But you know, the Bible says that God is a man of war. God is a man of war. You can find it in Exodus 15.3. We are not alone in the trenches is the message that we get from the Lord. He will fight for us. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is there with you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength. The strength of my life. Hallelujah. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 42. This is what the prophets have to say to us. The Lord will be a mighty warrior, full of fury towards his foes. He will give a great shout and prevail. Hallelujah. Woohoo! Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> you know, the truth is that no matter what we're going through, God is there to fight with us. He's the strength of our lives. I'm learning. And this is really what God wants us to do. Uh, Hallelujah. Isaiah 42 and verse 13. The Lord will be a mighty warrior, full of fury towards his earth. He will give a great shout and prevail. You might be in the fight of your life. I have a word for you. The Lord is your defense. Amen. The Lord is your defense. He is your deliverer. He'll fight your battles for you. You know, things can suddenly change. As I bring this to a close, things can suddenly change. These guys have been going through an incredible, Incredibly difficult siege and had been 
uh, absolutely awful. But in, in a moment, in the twinkling of light, it all changed. You know, it, it was an amazing thing because God said, in 24 hours, about this time tomorrow, it will all be different. You know, the Bible says, weeping may endure for a night, but how many know joy comes in the morning? Joy comes. We do go through difficulties. We do go through hardships. But if we keep looking to God, if we keep denying ourselves and serving the Lord, joy comes in the morning. So, He gives us beauty for ashes. He lifts the downcast. He gives hope to the hopeless. This is all the things that God does for us. You don't need to be afraid, but rejoice in our Savior and our Redeemer. These lepers went out in fear and trembling. I need to discover that God had gone before them. God had already routed the enemy, and they fled in terror, leaving the spoil behind them. You, it, it, we haven't got time to go into the story, but they, they, they went and then there was an abundance of food, and, and so they, 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 they helped themselves, and they said, hey, no, we, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got to go and tell the, the king. And so they went and told uh, uh, the king of Samaria, and... Uh, uh, the, the, the result was that the word of God that the prophet had brought 24 hours earlier came to pass. You know, if you will just trust the word of God, I can't guarantee it's going to be over in 24 hours. But this much I will tell you, God is watching over his word, waiting to perform it. He will not let you down. If you will stand on that word and believe that word and not allow any doubt or fear to come into your life, you will prevail and God will fight for you. God will fight for you. God routed the enemy, just leaving them the spoils. They reported it to the king, and the siege was broken, just as the word of the Lord had promised. Trust in God's word. Just bow your heads in a word of prayer, would you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, none of us are exempt from difficulties, hardships, and trials. Help us to take heed of the things that we've heard and the lessons that we've drawn from the scriptures this morning. Help us to repent uh, of any and all sin in our life. Lord, help us to fast. Help us to seek your face with all our hearts and help us to believe your word. Help us, Lord, uh, to deny ourselves and, and to trust in you. Lord, to believe that you can bring us through all this. And so, Lord, may we be kind and may we be considerate. May we be gentle with one another. Lord, uh, even in the times of hardship and in, in difficulty, Lord, let us honor you and be gracious unto you in every way, shape, fashion, and form. So, Lord, I just pray that the next time we go through a time of trouble, that we would remember this word and that we would build our life upon the scriptures. Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving us.